understand we've all felt stuck at one point or another, even the most successful people among us, because it's a rite of passage, a trial, to see if you have what it takes to be independent. The test is to prove that you deserve your destiny. Each week our goal is to bring you an inspiring story of someone who moved beyond their stranded face and found greatness on the other side. Welcome to The Stranded Podcast, and this is your host, Jessica Hurley. Guys, real quick, today's episode of The Stranded is sponsored by none other than Instapodcast. If you've never heard of Instapodcast, that's my podcast management agency, and there's nothing wrong with a shameless plug, right? My podcast management agency that we started in 2019 with the intent to help business owners, entrepreneurs, and creatives just like yourself connect on one of the most popular platforms on the internet right now that allows you to have true intimacy and vulnerability with your audience, and that is podcasting, to share your story, to share your message, your experience, and your knowledge through one of the most powerful mediums. And what we did was take away the hardest, most difficult part of it. We do the tech and the production for you so that you get to focus on the two most important things, which are content and marketing, so that the world can hear your message. Because I know, one thing I know for certain is that you have a message that can put words to something that someone else is experiencing that they don't know how to put words to. And so it's time to put your message out there. But the problem is, is you're scared of how much work it's going to take. And Instapodcast takes away all of the work for you so that you can focus on what's most important about the podcast, which is just delivering and serving your audience. So run over to instapodcast.com right now, schedule and book your first call with one of our reps or me, and we will get you started with your popular podcast. What's up guys. Welcome back to the Stranded Phase podcast. This is your girl, Jessica Hurley, and I am back with another guest. And I know I love bringing you friends, community members, you know, educational opportunities, things you can learn about internet marketing, growth, healing, and all of the above, especially with this season of this podcast. But I'm even more excited to have a really unique conversation today and just be, I would say, inquisitive about something that I actually know nothing about. And so I'm really excited to explore this with someone that I am intertwined with in so many ways. She's a podcast client of my podcast agency, Instapodcast. She's a member of my uh, current worthy AF mastermind with my business partner, Megan. She's an incredible member of the Innovative Income uh, Summit community and tribe and just all around like boss. She is a podcast host, a YouTuber. She is a has a level of influence and connection with an incredible audience by helping them heal deal and really come up with a plan to exit their nine to five. And I just love everything that she is about. She does. And her story is one for the books. And I promise you, whatever you're thinking it is, it's not what we're about to talk about. So I'm really excited to welcome a friend and just someone that um, I have the utmost respect for Emily Adams. Thank you for that introduction. (laughs) Girl, we're going to lay the groundwork for them. (laughs) I got you. I love it. (laughs) So, and I didn't even mention you're in the process of writing a book. You have a pretty cool YouTube channel. You have your own podcast. Um, If somebody was to look at you from the outside in, you know, and and I say this, it's just going to sound so shallow, but with a point, you seem normal. You seem like everybody else. 
you seem like you help people heal, connect, come up with a very clear strategy. You have so much experience when it comes to project management and building businesses. Um, but one thing a lot of people don't know is you have a far from normal past. Can you just briefly open up about what we mean by this? Yes, <laughs> most definitely. And it is far from normal past. <laughs> and it's funny because when people understand that, usually they pick it up in my language, they will ask me where I'm at because I speak fluent German. So I have a lot of hard R's, right? I heard it. I've heard that in some of your content. That makes so much sense. <laughs> yes. So I was born and raised in the Amish culture and left when I was 17 and left in the middle of the night, jumped out of a two-story house and uh, was like a leap of faith, right? And A literal since, physical leap of faith. Yes. <laughs> and I've used that, uh, that side of, the of my story for so many leaps of faith that I've taken as I literally just take the leap and somewhere down or somewhere I decide, okay, this is actually the route I'm going to go. I don't have the plan for it. And at 17, I didn't really have a plan. I just knew that I was going to go to college and I was going to become this badass corporate boss woman. Um, but we all know, you know, there's detours along the road and at 18 became pregnant and was not what I was expecting. And it was like, say what? Like I'm pregnant. I had no idea. Um, truth be told, I would have never had kids. And, but now I can see my two boys have pulled me through everything. So 18 became pregnant and automatically got married because in the Amish culture, it's required. If you get pregnant, you have to get married to the guy. You don't have a choice. And they don't have divorce in the Amish culture. So we got married. The guy that I got married to knew the Amish culture, knew the controlling manipulative ways. So he used that to his advantage. And four years into, well, two years into the marriage, I was going to be like, get a divorce, but then found out I was pregnant with my second son. So stayed for another two years and in a very toxic narcissist gaslighting relationship. And finally had the courage to break away from it. And I just want to take a time, just a hot second for those that are listening, if you are in this type of situation, you always have a choice. And I say this because I did not have access to my checking account. I didn't know how much money was in there. Come to find out it was drained. I had to borrow money to get out of the situation. And I just knew I had to get out from the sake of my boys' mentality and our health and our safety and mine. And I made it work. And looking back, I'm like, how did I make that work? Right. Yeah. And then I borrowed money, got out of the situation. It was just survival mode. And I was just trying to survive and went through this nasty custody battle. And $15,000 later, two death threats later, I finally got full custody of my boys. And fast forward, went to school, graduated from Purdue. Uh, keep in mind, the Amish culture only goes to eighth grade education, which is equivalent to a sixth grade elementary education. So graduated from Purdue in four years and uh, built my leadership corporate, you know, I was in the corporate world right next to the vice president automotive and then married for round two, who I thought was the love of my life, <laughs> you know, had it all together. But truth be told, if we're being honest on my wedding day, on my second time I got married, I knew I shouldn't have got married. I knew it on my wedding day. And I went ahead because we had it all like on the outside, everyone's like, oh, you guys are like 
we worked out together. We had, you know, three boys together, you know, all these things. We didn't have kids together, but joint families. And two years later, I didn't see, I choose not to see the red, red flags. He came home and said, he no longer loved me. So now I was going through divorce number two, back to being a single mom. And I was like, damn. So I was in the middle of like, do I go down the deep, dark route of drinking all of this away? And I had started powerlifting. Powerlifting really saved me to stay away from the alcohol. <laughs> but I had called my um, friend who's like my mom. And I said, you know what? I'm just done with life. Uh, come get my boys. I don't want my boys. I'm not going to be a mom. I'm done. Like, I don't want to do it. And she goes, you have two choices. Go get yourself checked in or go take a momcation. And I was like, well, I don't want either one of those. Like, I'm not... I don't want either one of those are bad options. Like right. I just want my problems to be fixed. <laughs> so I took the momcation, went home, booked the vacation, didn't even have a vac vacation approved through work, booked it. Uh, I was like, what's on my bucket list? Skydiving. Cool. I'm going to San Diego and that's what I'm doing. So that's what I did. And the first day on San Diego, never been to California day of my life. Um, I cried. I did nothing but cry. I was releasing like all this shit. And um, that's really where my life turned. Of I started showing up, doing, doing the healing work, made the decision in February of 2020 to leave the corporate world with no plan, <laughs> absolutely zero plan. I've got Which is why it. you help women come up with a strategy. <laughs> yes. That was a valuable lesson learned the hard way. <laughs> I had a savings account and I had a 401k. That's all I had. <laughs> yep. And some women think that's enough. Right. And, and it's not. Um, so yeah. And then COVID hit and then my life really, really changed because I found meditation for the first time in my life, truly started doing the deep inner work and loving myself at a deeper level. And that's mm. really where it changed. And then, as you know, made the decision to move across the country with two boys. We literally packed everything in a car, sold everything else and moved from Indiana to Florida. So that's where we're at now. But yeah, it's the Amish background and culture taught me a lot. But one of the biggest things that I have learned is how to reprogram yourself. So it doesn't matter what your past is. You can always relearn and reprogram yourself to become whoever you want to become. Okay. Oh my God. I have so many questions. <laughs> okay. So you're saying, cause hearing you say that you've reprogrammed your brain from that, right? To me, that's a whole nother level. Cause all of us need some reprogramming and, and compare in comparison to that, we've had some, we all have our own traumas and whatnot, but that's to me, that's a lot more reprogramming than the average coming from where you're coming from. Right. So I'm just sitting here thinking about some of the things you said, like you know, eighth grade or technically a sixth grade education, you are limited to that. You also get married to who you get pregnant by. You also will stay with a man, whether he's doing whatever, anything to you, degrading you, cheating on you, hurting you physically, mentally, all, you know, any type of abuse, neglect, anything you stay. And you are literally told what to do. Like you go to their schools. You, I think I've heard you say in a past, like, first through fourth grade is in one classroom, fourth yes. through eighth grade is in the next classroom. And you're taught by teachers that are not certified as just like someone in the culture that decides they want to be a teacher. They basically pull in a mom off the street. And, oh, I'll teach. Absolutely. So she becomes like your, almost like your house mom, your school mom. Yep. And while I think this is so cool and it really stands for like the, the, what do they say? Um, it takes a tribe to raise a child, right? However, 
I cannot even fathom some of the mind shifts that you probably, or mindset barriers you had to break. Like first, what do you think this did to your confidence? Cause, just, oh. cause I thought about that as soon as you said, when you jumped out the window, less than a year later, you were pregnant. Yes. So it makes me think about how dependent you probably were, but not because of who you are, but because of the way you were like stifled, right? The way you were sheltered, you literally jumped into something else that felt safe. 100%. 100%. And so what do you think this did to your confidence? And what did you kind of learn, have to learn about doing like kind of rebuilding yourself, your values? Cause they tell you what to believe. So now you have to rebuild your confidence and your values. What do you think that did to you? And what did you kind of have to, what was the process of rebuilding? So I had zero confidence. And also just as a backstory, the Amish culture, I was never told you that I love you growing up. So my parents never told me that they loved me or there was no physical touch. And so that was another pattern I had to break because I craved that, right? So any guy that would like give me that physical touch, that was like, oh, cool. Like he loves me now. This is different. Which is a different side of it, right? Um, so that part in self-love was not taught confidence. Um, it's very much a woman is seen and not heard. Like you just, you don't have a voice. Women don't have jobs, right? Right. And so not having a voice and not knowing how to speak up and use my voice. And I didn't really learn that. And I didn't gain that confidence until I had to start fighting for custody for my boys and walking into the court system and being slammed over and over by these attorneys and keep in mind we lived in a small town where he knew the judge and everyone else so right so it worked against me and the part of it was i had to defend why i was going to school full-time because you know me high achiever i wanted to graduate in four years work full-time and be a single mom full-time and they saw me as unfit mom while i was going to school so then they were giving him you know joint custody that is when I learned to use my voice and stand up and have confidence in myself because I knew if I didn't, that I wasn't going to get my voice. But that's really when I started self-development. I started watching a ton of videos and just what can I implement every single day to build that confidence and to have my voice. And I would just be able to look at my boys and be like, yeah, I can do it for them. So you knew when you walked, like you left that courtroom the first time and you were like, I have to be strong for them. I have to be strong for me. And I have to go find this. Like, there's no one I can lean on. There's no one like, I got to take responsibility and just stand up for myself at this point. And maybe I don't know how, but I'll figure it out. Absolutely. And the Amish culture, like you don't go to court for anything. You don't, you stay out of the court systems. Like you don't go to jail. You Well, you go to jail if you get caught drinking and driving, but you know, you don't get it, you know, going in the court system, I wasn't raised with TV. I didn't know how that works. I had zero knowledge. So I didn't know when you are being held in contempt, like that's a serious thing. So, so yeah, I didn't know. This is so interesting to me because I think about like the average American, right. And most of our confidence comes from what we know. Like we will, we will walk with our head held high when we feel like we're the person in the room that knows the most. And so I just can't even imagine coming from the Amish culture and then being a woman and then walking into a room full of men, primarily judges, attorneys, lawyers, especially in a small town. And I, like, I, I can't even imagine how much that would creep on your confidence. 
Yeah, but then in a sense, looking back after being able to pull through that, my confidence grew. And then I went into the corporate world, which automotive is 25% female. And I was Mm. always in conference rooms with guys and very like it was a dominant male dominant world. So I had to have a voice. So I used that same technique to stand up for my team in the corporate world, which made me an incredible leader because my team knew I would fight for them. Mm. So you just kind of transitioned and then powerlifting really gave me the mental and physical confidence. Like you want to talk about anything that boosts your confidence, working out. And I also dropped like 65 pounds in the process. So that really like boosted my confidence to be like, you know what, I can do whatever. And that kind of all played a a role in it. It's like, you didn't take no for an answer. Not one bit. You were like, Oh, new wall, new wall, tearing it down, new wall, tearing it down. Okay. So yeah, but I want to backtrack a little bit because I think this is, um, this is, and maybe you remember, maybe you don't, but I think back to being 17 and making the decision to jump out the window. And I can't imagine how many people in the culture, probably at your age were defiant or felt like this was not normal, or maybe we're seeing things on the outside and saying like, why is my life not like that? What was the breaking moment where you were like, this is not who I'm supposed to be? I would say it started at 13 and 14 for me um, because I was just got out of school. Like I'm out of school at 13 and I started um, helping my dad run his business. I was a daddy's girl. So everywhere he went, I was at. So I was helping my dad run his pole barn business. And he also had uh, racehorses on the side and seeing more of the like outside worlds and started questioning a lot of things. Like, why do you always make me wear black socks? If I don't wear black socks, I'm going to hell. That's what I was told, right? You have to wear black socks. Your hair has to be parted down the middle. Oh, you can't leave the house because your dress is a half inch too short. Like all these things. And I was like, wait a minute how does that tie into the Bible? Cause it's very, you know, Bible driven culture and how where in the Bible does it say I can't get into heaven with, without black socks. So all these other people that aren't wearing black socks, like I always questioned everything. <laughs> and so that was like, shut up. <laughs> actually, you did not question your parents. You did. Oh. You just did not question them. You don't question your parents. And so I started questioning some things. And then really the turning point was when I lost my best friend at 16, I actually lost my best friend in a buggy accident. A semi sideswiped her and her boyfriend and they both passed away. And at her funeral, um, they had said, you know, we don't believe, we don't know if she went to heaven or not because there may have been alcohol involved. And (gasps) I was like, you all are crazy. Like I just lost, you know, my best friend and you all are saying that like, where's the God of God of love? Like, so it really shook me. And I was like, no, like I don't belong here. And then I got caught drinking, of course, you know, and I was grounded for six months. And so during that period, I was like, you know what? I was like, fuck you guys. I will figure it out. I'm not meant to be here. I didn't tell anyone. I had mentioned it to my sister one time. She's like, Emily, you can't, if you leave, you know, I'm never going to see you again. And I was like, ah, you know, it'll be all right. Um, So, but the process of leaving, and I want to be very clear for those that are listening, Rumspringen is only a TV reality thing. We don't get a choice. That is not a choice. Most people think it's a choice that the Amish people get at 16. No, it's not. That's only reality TV. Mm. (laughs) And uh, because I get asked that all the time on my YouTube channel and 
we, you don't have a choice. So my parents knew I was somewhat leaving because I wouldn't join the church. And so they sat me down, told me, you know, if you leave, you know, you know, you're going to go to hell and your children will go to hell and you can't come back. You know, we don't want no part of you. We'll never help you all these things. Then after they were done, the church and the community steps in and then they send you letters and they come show up at your door. You're required to talk to them because your parents make you. So my coping mechanism was just to look at somebody and not even hear a word they said. I would just block it all out. So at 17, I can block anything I want. You were having a conversation, I'd be like, yep, okay. And I would move on. <laughs> but it was the way I coped with it, which was later something I had to unlearn in my life. Yes, I was going to say, I could see where that would like cause issues later on. Wow. Wow. Okay. So once making this decision, how badly did this compromise your relationship with your parents and your siblings? So I made the decision. I didn't tell them that I made the decision, but my parents, I went two weeks without saying a word, without saying a word to my parents. And I had two other siblings, two brothers at home. And my parents were like, she's going to come in her younger brothers. So they asked me to go visit or to go stay with my other sister that was married. So I actually lived with my other sister and so, which made it easier even for me to leave. I was 17. I was right. Like, right? <laughs> um, so I then made the decision. I was going to, I wrote a letter. I wrote my sister a letter, thanking her for everything. And, you know, telling her why I was leaving. I, I literally popped the screen out and I was like, you know, I'm going to make the jump. I can't go back made the jump. And then I didn't see any of them for two years. Yeah. And then my sister ended up leaving. And then later, six months later, my other sister left and they all had children. And so now my parents had all these grandchildren that they were close to left. So they had a compromise like, yeah, you all can come back now. (laughs) So, (laughs) So the interesting thing was the grandchildren, I already had a kid, right? It didn't matter because they weren't attached to them yet. And so the grandchildren, you know, they were like, yeah, we want to have a relationship with the grandchildren. Well, my sisters were like, you know, you can't have a relationship with them unless we're allowed to. So then the kind of compromise started happening. Then it was like, well, every Christmas, you know, we get, would get together. We kind of would disagree to disagree on certain things, but it's interesting because my parents were um, old order Amish and now they're transitioning into new order Amish. So they've shifted from we're completely, because I'm still considered shunned and bond. So if I go to a wedding or a funeral, I have to sit in a different room. I can't participate in certain things. And like, that's the treatment I get, right? Because I've left. If I go back to their store and they recognize me, they won't take any of my money. Like that's bottom line. That's how they roll. So it's insane. I know. But now it's interesting because my parents have transitioned. They've also grown into another community. And um, I'm now closer to my mom than I've ever been my entire life. Mm. And, you know, we, we talk more now on the phone. They're actually getting ready to move to a community that allows electricity. And I was raised with zero electricity. <laughs> so it's kind of nice to see them transition as well. Um, we still you know, agree to disagree on some things. They're just things that we don't talk about, but my boys have a really good relationship with them too. So. Okay. That's amazing. And it makes me so happy. And I have a really stupid question. That's not stupid. Go ahead. Do the Amish believe in vaccination? 
So some of, um, are we talking about COVID or other? Vaccines? Yeah. So with COVID, I would say, um, it's probably up to every individual and they allow that. Oh yeah. They, cause they vaccinate their children. Right. Right. Just like babies and stuff. So, and flu vaccinations and stuff. So they would leave it to every individual. Now there was something, I had some comments on my YouTube channel about why do the Amish not get COVID? Listen, they're getting COVID too. <laughs> um, the funny thing is they just don't report it. So in my, family, they're not going to the hospital for it. Well, that too, in my family is very, very strict on if you don't feel good, don't you dare come around. If you have a cough, sniff, fever, whatever, do not show up. They will send you home. Stay in <laughs> so bed. they will very much quarantine all the way. Like they're, they don't play with that stuff. Right. And it's not about being like, I, like, I just think about us and we stay home and like, we do a million things. Like we watch movies, we hang it. Like, I feel like in the Amish culture, like if you stay home in quarantine, like you stay home, like you're just in bed. There's not much for you to do. Is there? No, you're just going to be reading and going outside. If anything, <laughs> there's also no close neighbors. There's not a whole lot of close neighbors. Right. So you're not in like a town setting or a city setting where your closest neighbor is going to be probably a quarter of a mile. So is there a percentage out there or a number of, or like an increased number of people that leave the Amish culture these days? Like, is it, is the culture dwindling at all? No, no it's not. I mean, come on, let's be real. They have like anywhere from five to 10 kids each family. So it's just <laughs> growing and growing. <laughs> like a small family is like six kids. Yeah. They have huge families. Cause you need them to take over the business and run the businesses and Absolutely. keep everything within tax write-off and tax write-offs. Damn kids. Um, okay. So give me like the two craziest principles in the Amish culture, like most insane outside of eighth grade education level. The most insane, probably their church. I could go all day about their church. So the most insane thing is you go into church. I speak like a Pennsylvania Dutch German, but the church is taught in a high German. So you don't understand anything. It's three hours. You sit on this hard bench and this bench that doesn't have a back on it either. And you're required to guys sit on one side, women sit on the other side, and you have to act a certain way for three hours. And then if you get caught doing something that you're not supposed to, that goes against their rules, you have to get in front of the church on your knees and make the confession. Um, whether it's you had sex with your boyfriend because that is prohibited or whether you were drinking. So that is one of the most insane things. Um, the other thing, and just full transparency, I would say the, the one thing that really bothers me and will trigger me to like start going off about Amish is everyone thinks it's such a peaceful community. And it's not, it's judgmental as fuck. It's, it's rape, it's abuse. It's all these things that does not get reported. It doesn't get reported because no one wants to be the person that comes out and say, this is how it is. And so when I say these things and people are like, oh, but it's so peaceful. Why would you ever leave? Um, no, it's not. I had more judgments in that community than I have my entire life. I've seen all these things, but because the media gets shut out every time, no one sees those things. And I think that's 
another crazy thing that's not addressed and people you know go back to the reality tv like you all just need to leave that let it go because it's not true so how's this made you be with your kids oh man so interesting (laughs) enough before i did the internal work i used to be exactly like my parents from a parenting standpoint i was very strict um at at nine my oldest was getting himself on the bus and like packing their lunch, getting themselves up, you know, very like strict routine parents. And I had a really hard time before I did the internal work to receive love from my kids and to give love at a level that I needed to. And when I did the internal work, I was able to receive the love. My boys even saw me shift and I saw myself shift. So I was very much like strict parent, high expectations and it's interesting because I've programmed them, you know, a honor roll all the time because I know you can do it. But now I'm having to unprogram them of, you know, if you get an A minus, that's fine, right? <laughs> we're, we're talking, we're still A's, like what's going on? <laughs> but we're stressing out because we're not A plus. So that's, that's been an interesting shift. But I would say I was very much like my parents. Mm. And breaking that mold of, because we are such a mirror to our experiences and what we create and hearing you say that your parents never said, I love you. And then you couldn't receive love from your kids. And truth be told, it was probably really hard for you to give it as well. You know, it's, we can give rules, regulations and, and, and expectations easier than we can give and receive love for the most Absolutely. times, especially, especially based on what you experienced. Right. So what was like the the self-work begins, but what was the thing where it was like, I really need to change the way I give and receive love with my kids? The moment that my youngest looked at me and said, you know, uh, you're trying too hard and we love you just the way you are. And made me do a lot of reflection on self-love and love myself. I actually called my mom and I asked her, why did you never say I love you? And she was taken back and she goes, I'm so sorry. She said for decades, like we've never done that in our family. And from that moment on, she tells me every time she calls me, I love you. But my dad, my dad, on the other hand, hasn't broke that gap yet, right? It's a generational curse. And having that realization of it doesn't matter what I do as a mom, my boys still love me. I could do like the worst thing in the world. They still love me. Unconditional love. Absolutely. Unconditional love, love without condition. And I think you came from a culture that love was and religion was conditional. Very much so. Very God does not love you unless you follow these 971 rules. It was more than that, but yeah. <laughs> you get it. <laughs> it was oh a rule my for gosh. rule for rule. <laughs> and to not project that on other people, the level of work that requires, not to project that on our kids, not to project that on like I heard you say that you really became focused and fought on being a team leader in your corporate role, like to not project it on your team members. Like, I can't even imagine. I imagine if like, from what, you know, if you projected that as a boss, what, how high and ridiculous your expectations would be without grace, without love, without leading with love. Cause it's so important to me to lead with love. I think there's just such a different game played when you lead a team with love, but if you can't give and receive it, like it's amazing to me that you do, you've done the work to not project that on community, on your clients, on the women you work with, because it's such a key factor in the way that we serve. 
Absolutely. And I will, you know, 100% honest, I still struggle with it every day internally. I don't have high expectations of others, but I'm like, okay, why am I not making a million dollars yet? Why don't I have like all of these, these things already done? Why don't I have six of my books published? Like all these high expectations of myself. So that's still something that I work on every single day. So what was your major shift around money? Oh my goodness. (laughs) I can't even imagine. Me and money. Oh my, we, that is a whole other topic, but the short version of it is I've always made good money and then I always lost it. And part of that is I went from not having any control over my money. Even when I worked at at 16, if I did anything for my dad, I didn't get paid. Right. So they got, you were a child. Yeah. (laughs) And you then, work here. <laughs> exactly. And then through my first uh, marriage, I didn't have control of any of that money. I didn't even have the bank account. I was working 60, 70 hours a week. And after Jordan was born, three weeks after he was born, he had told me to go back to work because we needed money to pay the bills. And I did. Three weeks. So who watched your kid? He did. He didn't have a job. <laughs> yes. I'm telling you, like <laughs> he he didn't work, right? So three weeks later, I was back and I was working full production. So it wasn't like I had a desk job. So um at the time I was a team leader, so I was on my feet all day long. And I lied to my doctor to get to be able to go back to work. Um, but then after that, I went full blown out. After I went through a divorce with him, I was like, you know what? Never again. And so I really took control, like obsessively control over my finances and into my next marriage, I did everything with money, which in a sense helped me. And then later I realized, man, I've got to figure out how to have a better relationship with money because it was such, such scarcity. Like it's never enough. Like it's never enough. Right. Mm -hmm. And what really shifted for me was understanding money as energy. And that is, was such a hard concept me to understand Mm. and um the interesting thing is is my dad you know has multiple businesses he's multiple multi-millionaire right um and then not being able to tap into that money and resources to build my business has been the most challenging for thing for me i sit here and you know watch my other family that has access to that i'm the only child out of six that doesn't have access (laughs) but that's okay. (laughs) But I had to work through that bitterness. I had to work through that anger. And there was a period of, I was like, I just fucking hate them for that. You guys are making multimillionaire, you know, you're making millions. And I'm sitting here like struggling. All I wanted to do was hit six figures. Mm. But yeah, if I had those resources, you know, just even as a resource. So it was working through that anger and all those things and feeling it and it was uncomfortable and that was the biggest shift once I did that and forgave them I wrote you know my parents like a six page forgiveness letter and like all these things and it really helped me come to terms with it and one of the things that really drove me to keep going and keep going through that was at the end of the day it's all mine I don't have to give anyone else credit for it I build it all and Mm -hmm. I get to hand that to my boys yep 100%. Woo. Quick question. Are most, are most Amish millionaires? No. (laughs) Okay. I was like, is that a normal thing? 
<laughs> and they do pay taxes. I get that asked all the time. Do they pay taxes? Yes, they pay taxes. <laughs> Interesting. So, um, my dad is very entrepreneur. And so he has multiple businesses. He does a lot of land investments. And so very much entrepreneur based, which is, I very much have my dad's mindset. So mm -hmm. I love it. Daddy's girl. Yeah. Okay. Last question. What is the book about? Which one? <laughs> the only one that we're going to write. So the one that we're writing right now is, um, I don't have a title for it, but it's about uh, self-discovery, how to really find yourself. And mm. that one is actually going to an editor as of Friday. <gasps> um, <laughs> yes. Now my life story will be split up in three books. Um, but more to come on that. All right. So last but not least, we're going to wrap into this and this could be a lot, but you do help women strategize and come up with a true plan, not make the same mistakes you did to exit their nine to five. We know that there's a lot of women out there feeling like this, you know, looking up at some point, like the disrespect is real. Like that's when I knew it was time to leave my nine to five was the disrespect was real. I was out there killing it. I had seven clients. I was hosting women's events already. And I tried to like proposition my job for a raise. And they were like, absolutely not. You're too young. And I was like, wait, I have a master's degree. I'm killing myself for you guys. And I'm doing all the stuff on the side and it's not affecting my work. And they were like, no, you're too young. And, you know, there were just so many things that I was starting to be like, okay, I'm really being toyed with right now. Like I'm really being undervalued. And, and then I was like bringing in million dollar grants with no credit, like whatsoever, none. And I look back now three years later and it's like, I'm like, I would never even think about going back. So what is your advice to women? Like with a, you know, knowing what, you know, working with a lot of women at this level, a woman that has just kind of gotten to that point. Like, as I talk to a lot of women in these shoes, like I'm, I know a nine to five is not for me, or I'm ready to start my own business. Or I'm ready to do something. And maybe they're sitting on some liquid cash. Maybe they're sitting on a 401k. Maybe they are itching because every day feels like hell. What would your advice be to them? My first advice would be listen to yourself. If you have that knowing that you are not meant for a nine to five, listen block out anything else that does not support that because you will get other people's opinions and then you will you will stay stuck in your nine to five forever and hence the reason why i left just without a plan horrible idea but my next advice would be find someone that can help you make that plan you know it, and i mentally quit my job before i actually quit my job so that's like a relationship yes <laughs> Like we stop having sex. I'm pretty much done. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Talk about language. Um, but I'm so it's, what is the process, you know, understanding the process from letting go of your nine to five, also be prepared for the setbacks and plan for those plan for the setbacks, find someone that can help you make that plan. Um, don't buy 30,000 courses like I did 30,000 strategies and then not use any of them. Mm. That would be my biggest thing. I, uh, invested over 30 K the first year, 30 <gasps> K. Yeah. Oh my God. So if you want to know what not to invest in, I can tell you. <laughs> oh my God. Read, read the lean startup first. Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, oh. the money was there, right? It was there. I was like, you know, I'm going to invest in 
And if you have people that are really good at selling what they do, you're going to buy. You're going to buy. This is, I, I might sound so inappropriate when I say this, come back to me if I'm wrong, but I have seen both sides of this. And I almost feel like when people are sitting on too much money and they're ready to exit, they almost fuck it up every time oh, because they're comfortable and they keep buying things thinking that I'll just use my money as leverage, almost like it's an investment, but it's not, it's an investment in your startup and you still have to do the work. So they're investing the money and expecting someone else to make magic happen. Oh, Where, whereas when you don't have a lot, you're going to hustle until it comes. Absolutely. And I've seen so many people piss away everything in the startup phase. I was one of those. Listen, I was like, oh, I'll just throw money at it. You know, I got the money, right? But what I learned, especially doing the inner work when I was hit with, you better deal with your shit now. And that would be my other thing. Do the internal work before you start a business. Just huge. But when I was hit with that of you're, you're going to have to face your shit, money, money's not going to fix it. You're actually going to have to show up and face it. You're going to have to do the work yourself. You can buy, you know, help get coaches or whatever to help you through that. But at the end of the day, you're still going to have to do it. Yeah. All right. A message from my girl and one of the most interesting stories I've ever heard. I feel like we could talk about this forever, but if someone has more questions about the Amish culture is excited to tune into your podcast, getting ready for your book, wants to watch your YouTube, tell them all about where they can stalk you at. The best place to go is emilyadams.net. It's my website, but I'm very active on my YouTube community and I'm also active on Instagram. So send me a DM. Amazing. Thank you so much for joining us on the Stranded Phase, being vulnerable, open, honest, and telling it like it is. I can't thank you enough. Thank you. Thanks again for joining us on another episode of the Stranded Podcast. If you felt inspired or moved today, make sure to leave a review on iTunes. You can learn more about us and our guests at thestrandedphase.com. And don't forget that your stranded phase is a rite of passage on your journey to greatness.